0: Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Colleen Meyer with Meyer and Mintz LLC, bringing you another episode of Fearless and Pink. And today we have two amazing ladies. Their name is Savani Babu. Did I get that right? You did. Yeah. And her partner, Sabine Bergman. And these ladies are the co-founder, co-CEOs of a company called Hidden Campus. Compass. Hidden. Compass. Excuse me, which is an award-winning women-led media company that is forging an alliance to turn storytellers and explorers into heroes and champions, the new age of discovery. Welcome, ladies. So let's talk a little bit more about your company. How did it get started? And how long has it been in business? Sure. Thank you for having us, by mm-hmm. the way.
1: We're we're excited to be
2: here. Yes, I'll I'll echo Savani on that. Thank you for having me us and you are fearless with your pink background we are fearless in yellow and in green but we are fearless nonetheless (laughs) (laughs) Nevertheless, yes indeed
1: yeah we uh we both were on our our own sort of freelance journalism journeys Mm -hmm. for a little while and we actually met and when we both were had came from other backgrounds I was a lawyer before Sabine worked in international aid and with the Peace Corps Mm. and we both kind of lived these weirdly parallel lives for a little bit <laughs> and then we met at a bookstore and yeah. we met at a at a conference and both kind of lamented the state of the industry that we were in and mm-hmm. this types of stories we wanted to tell and the types of stories we wanted to read and that there was nowhere really that was willing to publish those
2: yeah for a context this conference that we had met at was a conference for travel journalists and mm-hmm. spine and I I think we were both very nerdy kids who had this, you know, yellow uh, National Geographic stacks in our rooms and were super inspired by travel journalists who were going all over the world and showcasing people and stories and places that were unknown to so many of us. And so we were so inspired to go into travel journalism. We were at this conference, and a lot of these heroes of ours who had been publishing in big name uh, outlets like National Geographic and Lonely Planet and BBC, uh, we're talking about the golden age of travel journalism being over. Hmm. And there was this kind of sense that the industry was dying, uh, which was not what we had hoped for, of course. (laughs) Um, And Savani and I were both very frustrated by this because we felt like, hmm it didn't have to be this way. Mm-hmm. You know. It was almost like this sense of the industry is dying. There's this shift to digital from print and we can't do what we did in print and digital. And so therefore we must all fail. And Savani and I are very optimistic, stubborn people <laughs> who've decided uh, very vehemently that we did not want to buy into that, that uh, idea that we must just go with what came before
1: right. And, and it was, you know, we met at this conference, we spent about a year, we formed a writers group and we spent about a year just kind of as colleagues and beating our heads against the wall about the same thing over and over again. And we hit this point where we had to decide whether we wanted to do what we wanted to do,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: or we wanted to leave the industry altogether. And for us, that became no, we're going to create the place that we want to see. We're going to create the business that we're missing, the publication that we're missing. And it started as just a digital publication that we thought would be a side project while Mm -hmm. we had our freelance careers and we continued to do that. And it quickly blossomed into a full-time job. And that's where we are now, is that it is our full-time business. It is our primary focus. And that for us was also a sign that we'd hit on something because... We put out a call for submissions for our first issue. And our, our biggest fear when we did that was that nobody would send us stories. We were an unknown, our, you know there were no yeah. past publications to look at and our inboxes were flooded. And it was very clear that we weren't the only ones who were craving this.
2: Yeah. And to answer your question, Colleen, you had asked about when this at all happened. So we founded Hidden Compass in 2017. And so right around, August of 2017, just over four years ago is when we were terrified of our inboxes because of the response.
1: <laughs>
0: right. right. You know, I yeah, um, you, you bring me back to when I was, um, you know, younger in high school and young, even maybe younger than that, looking at the National Geographic um, magazines. I love them because, you know, they're all glossy, but yeah. it, it, it but the pictures are amazing. The stories are amazing, but it introduced me um, to here, you know, younger growing up in Southern California, to people and customs and beliefs, you know, all over the world, right? And it was, and and it, it's sad to think that they thought that that would go away. It is, I mean, and that's how we felt,
1: right? Because we we also had that reaction with National Geographic and you know Life Magazine and Time mm-hmm. and all of these big glossy magazines that showed us. You know, worlds beyond our own and yeah it was sad that people thought that had to go away because it, oh sorry go ahead. So no, go ahead go ahead
2: i was gonna say that it had to go away and be replaced by a much more self-centered version so i felt like those stories used to be about learning about other places in the world and so much of travel journalism these days is what you as a reader can get out of it personally. And it just shifts the entire focus on you, which, you know, to say nothing of the consequences of the places that we visit is also just a lot of pressure (laughs) as a traveler to go and have these epiphanies and these incredible photos and to um, hit the best places or the most life changing places. And it doesn't work that way in real life. It's never that easy.
1: Right. And it shouldn't work that way because- when you travel according to a plan and a list and all of that, you miss out on great experiences that, that come from being open to discovering what's out there rather than having a checklist and having this, this conquest mentality. of I need to do these things, otherwise this trip is not worthwhile. And, and so many of the great experiences that I've had traveling, and I know this is the same for Sabine come from the things that we never expect, right? The things that, that, uh, happen when everything goes wrong and <laughs> when we get to meet people that we never would have encountered otherwise especially if we'd stuck to that itinerary in that list
0: you know it's interesting you know to travel it's it's there's I think for me there's two types right there's a travel where it's all set up like you said an itinerary and this is where the tourists go but there's an other part of it that's where the people are at and the people mm-hmm. that live there and the people that that's their culture and the, and my daughter she's an anthropologist so she studies culture and linguistics and it's it's just fascinating to learn about how people learn how people see the world how they see their 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 part in the global experience don't you agree that's outside the tourist traps absolutely
1: absolutely and and Sabine and I both grew up kind of exposed to that kind of travel mm mm-hmm. And for for my family, it was going to India. So I was born and raised in the U.S., but my parents came from India and we still had family there. And so when we went, we didn't stay in hotels. We stayed with family and we lived with family. And so I had that exposure at a young age. And that very much influenced how how I traveled as an adult. Yes.
2: Yeah. And I'm sure your daughter, Colleen, (laughs) understands what it's like to go in with this sense of curiosity Mm -hmm. because of her background in research. And that is a, I think that can really translate really well to travel when you go in not with, as you said, an itinerary or an expectation of how things are supposed to be, but more this sense of curiosity. And this is something that we have really embraced at Hidden Compass is, you know, why do we exist? And there are all of these, there are a myriad of reasons why we exist, but one of them is to inspire curiosity and courage and uh, people to go out into the world and be open to what could happen rather than to already kind of know what you want to have happen before you step foot on the ground. Right.
0: What would tip, a typical um, addition look like from your from your um, hidden camp um, compass? I don't sure. know why I want to keep saying campus. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it a learning a, it's experience. The, <laughs> it's the academic in me. I keep thinking come Right.
1: Yes. yeah. We we publish quarterly. We publish four issues a year, five stories per issue. We're very proud of every one of those stories. Mm -hmm. Publishing that quantity allows us to focus on the quality. Mm -hmm. And so in this last year, about 50% of our stories won awards for the best travel features in in the country. And so we're very proud of those five stories Mm -hmm. that we publish in each issue. And we work very closely with our uh, journalists, but we have five departments. So every story fits into one of those departments in every issue. And and when we envisioned Hidden Compass, we wanted it to be a place for the stories that don't often get told in regular travel and exploration type publications. And so you know we have a department called Chasing Demons, which is where we explore kind of the darker aspects of a place or a journey. And these are stories that are powerful, but they're not the stories that other magazines are willing to publish most of the time.
2: Yes, yeah, coming up with those departments is really fun and it's really fun for our contributors to, to look at stories and say, okay, is this a chasing demon story? Is this a time travel story? Right. So that's another department where we have narratives that take place at different moments in history and sometimes project out into the future where we might be going. Um, we have a department called Quest, which is about uh, characters on a quest of some kind uh we have a portrait department
1: which can be a portrait not just of people but of places but even objects right um, and then and then human and nature is our our last one and that is stories of of people even though people are part of nature but yeah. we sometimes tend to think that we're removed from it somehow but how we interact and how we affect each other and uh and so and within those we like to go with the less obvious version. Mm -hmm. And so, so, you know, sometimes a story that could be a chasing demon story could also be a time travel story. And so we like to look at the different aspects and and what's the best way to tell a story. And what I love about what we do and what was a big part of why we decided to, to create Hidden Compass was that we're very interdisciplinary. And so the stories aren't your typical travel story they're not just a travel narrative they often you know combine travel and exploration and history or science or mm-hmm. ethics or art all sorts of things and so we look to kind of give people something to really dig into and sink into and come away with not just feeling like they've been on the experience of, of the story but that they've also taken something with them right that they have gained insight into a nuanced, difficult, or, you know, complicated topic, or they're thinking about something in a different way.
0: And is that where you came up with the, the hidden in a hidden compass? Is that what that hidden is for? It's something like maybe not so obvious, but it's there, but we normally don't see it the way we travel.
2: So one of my favorite things about our name is that it can be interpreted in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. And we yeah. very purposefully don't tell people what it means, <laughs> which I think tells you a lot about us as people and us as a company, yeah. <laughs> you we know, want it to
1: mean what people what it means to them, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It means so many different things.
0: Because to me, it, it's it's the it's the mysterious for me, and you know what's really going on that tourists don't see, and it's like it's like getting pulling back the curtain and getting an insight into this place and these people. To me, when you when I hear that, and that's and I guess everybody will have their own interpretation of what that looks like. Right. But I love that because it it leaves it up to the imagination of the person that's going to be reading. Or wanting to read your your work. How do you ladies come up with stories? So how, do, or do people submit them? Or do you have qualifications or things you're looking for specifically people submit? Or do you go looking for it? We
1: work with freelance journalists from around the world. Mm-hmm. We generally, they submit a story idea, a pitch or a submission to us. And we have a fantastic managing editor, Katie Narowski, who came to us. After spending time with publications like National Geographic and mm. others, and so, you know, she's the gatekeeper to a lot of that. But we we always look for stories that connect to bigger questions and bigger conversations.
0: That's what we're looking for. Mm. Yeah, I love I love that. I love that bigger. It's it, it because it doesn't just end with the article. It becomes a talking piece or an ex, a piece of right. information you want to explore. More. Yes, yeah. Yeah.
2: I'll also add that we look for contributors who really want to lean into the partnership aspect of working with us as a publication. And so Hidden Compass is very different from most publications in that we really showcase and put a spotlight on each journalist and storyteller we work with. each have profile pages on our website, So you mm. get to see their faces. They record videos where you can hear their voices and them talking about what drives them as storytellers. And then every story that we publish is now launched with a fundraising campaign where readers can contribute directly to the partnership between Hidden Compass and our contributors. And they receive 50% of the proceeds on top of their article pay. And the other 50% go back to us to allow us to publish the kind of weird and ambitious and global and nuanced stories that we publish.
0: Now, when you guys think back, going back to, um, and said, so, so, okay, we're gonna start this this magazine, uh, hitting, hitting Compass, and um, what have you learned, each of you, through this journey in, from where you began to where you are now? So much.
2: <laughs> that is such a good question. It is
0: a great
1: question
2: um that we can't do everything I think is one of those things that I think a lot of cultures startup culture and American culture being some of them uh kind of fetishize all-nighters working weekends and just really committing yourself in an almost obsessive way to a project which I think is still a mark of will and devotion, but it also to me is a sustainability problem. You know, if you're running a business, you don't want to have to pull all nighters all the time. You don't want to have to work weekends. And so it's how do we, how do we build the kind of business that we want to be with for, for the long haul, you know, and that's something that we've definitely, I think, both learned as a team.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's some of that. And and for me too, there's a, a bigger, sort of understanding of what we're missing out on as a society and uh, in terms of the types of stories that we've been able to share over the last four years of publication, thinking about how so many of those stories would not have made it to light, and how much they have influenced other people and how much we've learned from them and how important they are. It has become very clear to me that there is a place for this kind of storytelling, that there is a desire to consume this kind of storytelling, to actually take it in on the other end. And that you know we may be the publication that's doing it this way right now, but that there's room for others and there's room for others to be creative about their business model. And that that's my hope for all of this, right? And that's kind of what I've taken with me over the last four years is that there's so much more to be done and I'm excited about where we're headed.
0: Yeah. Are you guys looking to, in the future, instead of putting out the fort for a year, are you looking to expand that to maybe a monthly or? Not at this point. We
1: like the quarterly format. We like that it gives us the time that we want with each story to really make it shine and make it something that it's going to go out and not just win awards but it's going to be something that both the contributor and the publication are proud of. And so we certainly would never want to sacrifice that in an effort to get things out more often. Mm, I think we're sense. open to things down the road, but uh, but at this point we're not we're not considering changing the frequency.
2: Right. But we are expanding in a very different yes. way and so rather than looking for a greater quantity of issues or stories. We're really going deeper with each story and Mm -hmm. deeper with a reader's connection to Hidden Compass. So when we first started, the only way you could really interact with Hidden Compass, unless you were to, you were a writer or photographer, wanted to take a workshop with us, was to read the magazine. And then And there were these campaigns you could contribute to. And now there's a podcast where you can hear us interview the journalists behind stories that we published in the past. Now there's a speaker series. Um, And in the fall, so it is the fall already, we're in September. Um, In November, we're going to
1: be launching a modern society of exploration, which we're really excited about. (laughs) Think National Geographic Society of, you know, 1888, but reimagined for- 2021 and beyond so it's going to be more diverse and it's going to be global and inclusive
0: and we're really really excited about it let me ask you this question um when you were starting your projects and and you know your your magazine and then it's it's changing and podcasts and education and and things you're adding to it did you ever have imposter syndrome or something try to creep up and be negative and you're like okay shut up you know, up in your that little voice in your head. Sure, Uh, absolutely. And especially,
1: you know, we were younger than a lot of the people who we were disagreeing with, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? A lot of the people who were telling us that the industry was dying and that, you know, this is just the way it is now were people who'd been in the industry for a very long time. They're people we still respect and consider friends and mentors. And so certainly there was a part of us that you know, there's that moment of, well, what do, what, do we really know what we're doing here? Uh, and, and I think that's natural. And I think it's also important when that crops up to be able say, mm-hmm. I know just as, you know, I, I may not know everything, but I'm going to learn things and we have an idea and there's a place for it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And to look at this as kind of a grand experiment, we're not supposed to know everything that happens. That's what pioneering something new is. Right.
0: I love that because, you know, a lot of women, women, but this is a women's podcast, um, women, you know, we tend to, we have to think we have to have everything in line and know everything about it before we, you know, jump in there. And you guys you're like, nope, you know, this is our, we have a passion and a love and we don't know everything, but we're going to go for it. And that's what you did. And look at the success you've had in the last what four years you've been doing this. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think for
1: both of us too, we came from other backgrounds and other experiences where mm-hmm. we'd just been thrown into the deep end and didn't have a choice. You have to figure it out. And I think, I think that gave both of us a confidence in our ability to figure things out, even mm-hmm. if we don't know it at the time. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that was, for me, at least that was, that's always been invaluable as I have moved through life and careers and things like that.
2: Yeah, I think role models are really important. And you brought up a really good point, Colleen, about women having this imposter syndrome. In part, I think because we don't have as many role models. I mean, there's a statistic that only 8% of CEOs of Fortune 500 companies are women. Um, and then in in the startup world, you know, Savani and I are, are both, uh, pitching investors and talking about this grand vision of what hidden compass could be. And we are in the minority there in terms of the people who are pitching, the women who are pitching, but also the amount that women ask for. So in 2018, mm. for instance, male founders uh, were able to secure $109 billion in venture capital and female founders only got $2.9 billion. And so that just shows this yawning distance between what women are able to fundraise and what men are able to fundraise. And I think that's a huge place of opportunity
1: for female founders. Right. And it's easy to look at that and say, well, maybe there just aren't as many female founders, but then the question is why,
0: Hmm.
1: why not? Right. And it's not just a question of there aren't that many female founders. Because another anecdote that, that I think is really illustrative of the problem is there's a story about two female co-founders who, when they decided to start pitching investors they created a after a while of doing it on their own they created a fake male co-founder mm. and added him to their materials and all of a sudden right all of a sudden they were getting investment offers they were not only getting investment offers but people were going above and beyond and trying to give them more money than they were asking for and and so this is a very real problem. It's not mm-hmm. just a, a matter of you know there aren't there aren't that many female co-founders because mm-hmm. women don't want to do that. That's not true. Nope. It's just not true. And so, you know, being able to and that's why I love what you do with your podcast. Mm-hmm. Right, is being able to see other women who are in that role. I think helps women who are thinking about it and worried that they don't have the qualifications or they are you know what do they know and. and when you see that other women have been there
0: and are are doing what you know you dream of doing, it helps. You know, I have a friend of mine. She does. Uh, she works with franchisees now. Um, she helps them with their, you know, um, programs and their operations and all of that. But when she was starting out, she was. T- she told me a similar story where her and her female partner in business could not get work, and as consultants and um, so they would hire an, a male actor and then all of a sudden they were getting wow. work. Wow. Yeah. And you know, they, and they took him out to lunch or dinner or whatever it was. And that was the end of that. And mm-hmm. when they would go to meetings, he wouldn't say anything. He would say, well, you know, this person, this person's going to tell you what it's about. And he would just kind of sit there and they pitch, they did their pitch. And they, they were starting to get work because they thought that there was this male mm-hmm. in, in, their business. No, I, you know, I always people, I think about that, um, glass ceiling and I don't think that the glass ceiling has is broke. I think it's got some cracks in it, but it's not blown open. What do you guys Mm -hmm. feel about that? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't disagree with
1: that. And I, I came from another industry I was a lawyer and I came from, so I came from an industry where you see, sort of the equality on the education side. I went to school with more women in law school than mm-hmm. than men, but you don't see that at the top levels of law firms and things like that, right? And so mm-hmm. and we can talk about choices that women make, but often they're choices that women are forced to make because of the way things are set up.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so, and so, yeah, I don't, I don't think we're there yet. Do I, I think, think so. that we've made progress? Sure.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, especially when you think about it from a global perspective. I mean, right. oftentimes we're tempted to think within our country. So the United States or Canada, I don't, I don't know where the majority of your listeners are, Colleen, but chances are they're in a country where there are more cracks in that glass ceiling than right. there are in the majority of countries in the world. And when you step back and look and see, oh, my gosh, the progress that could be made. And I, I also am thinking about my own background in international development and conservation science, where I would do field work and community work in countries in Latin America, um, where it, you know, a female scientist, not just a female scientist, but a woman who is unmarried and supporting herself, who is living in another country. It's, it's so bizarre in a lot of ways. Mm. And, um, which is, it's kind of, it's disheartening, but it's also heartening in that whatever project you're working on, you're like, just the fact that I'm here is kind of amazing. Um, So even if my project totally fails, the fact that I am a a role model as a woman who can support herself, who is educated and independent um, is just something in and of itself. But it um, it really shows the progress that can be made, but also just looking at young people in these countries and how there's, This massive change within generations Mm -hmm. or between generations, I should say, and that is exciting to me because I think that things are changing quickly, and that will continue to accelerate as the younger generations take power.
1: Mm -hmm. And and I, I, you know, the example you gave, Sabine, resonates with me not because of where I was, but the reality is you can—that's still true in parts of this country. Mm -hmm. I know. I was—I was a young teacher with Teach for America and went to South Texas, right on the border. And one of the questions I got a lot from my students was, you know, miss you're, you're 22 and you're living alone. You're not living with your parents. Why don't you wanna stay with your parents? And that sort of, that sort of thing. And so, and there's nothing wrong with that by any means, right? But the idea that there are options, right? That it doesn't have to be that way. And you have a choice in this was new to some of my students.
0: Tell us a little bit about um, your podcast, the name of your podcast, how people, I'm sure it's everywhere that podcasts are, right? Knowing you ladies, you're probably everywhere now. Um, (laughs) What's the name of it? It is creatively
1: titled Hidden Compass, the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) We make it easy for you folks. Exactly. (laughs) And you can find it everywhere. What we do, the format, I, I really enjoy. What we do is the first half of the podcast is a reading of a past story we've published. And then the second half, we interview the author, the writer of the story and get to talk about what went into the production of the story, what it was like for them in the field when they were reporting it and what kind of experiences they had. And it's been fun for us also because we've always kind of sought to publish stories that were evergreen, that would have meaning the day we published them and four years later. And it's been fun for us to go back and see how well that's held up and that these stories have continued to have meaning and taken on new meanings as we, as we revisit them.
0: So if they wanted to subscribe to your magazine, uh, it would be, I would imagine, um, hitting www, what net. net Dot net. Okay. Dot net. You guys dot net. Yes. Yes. All right. And is there anything else on the horizon that you're, oh, you said something about training, right?
2: Is that uh, we have a so we're launching a modern society of exploration, I mentioned in November, um, which we're calling the Alliance. So the great thing is the magazine is actually free. So you go to hiddencompass.net, and rather than subscribing to the magazine, you can read stories and support individual journalists through fundraising mm-hmm. campaigns. And in November, you'll be able to join an alliance, which will be a collection of people who want to celebrate discovery and exploration. We will be funding expeditions
0: mm-hmm. around the world
2: and members of the Alliance, or allies, will get to vote on which expeditions get funded. They'll get to meet explorers virtually and in person. They'll get to hang out with each other and celebrate badass nerds, essentially. Um, <laughs> we're really excited about it.
0: Yeah. I love, love, love it. I love what you're doing. I love that you're exposing people to other parts of the world cultures stories um you have your podcast you have your um coming up in november what's the name of the it again? alliance alliance the, alliance. the yes. alliance that's gonna i'm gonna sign up for that oh awesome. yes please, do. please and do i'm gonna have do. my daughter too because you know she's an anthropologist this is right up her alley she'll love 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 this all right ladies yeah. thank you so much for coming on Fearless and Pink, and sh- talking about your journey and your business and some of the things that you've learned over the last four years. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Such Thanks a pleasure.